right, we'll go ahead and take a moment and dismiss children for Children's Church. So those who are four years old up through second grade can head upstairs if they'd like to at this time. So in our study of the book of Colossians that we've been in, it's almost been a little bit of a mini-series within the book in Colossians chapter 2 here. The, the Apostle Paul is looking at and opening up to us, showing us the difference between man-made religion. Okay, so man-contrived, man-thought-of, man-efforts, mankind's efforts to earn God's favor, to get in good with God. There's a difference between that and biblical Christianity, which we would maybe say it this way. It is God's solution to our heart problem. It is God's solution to humanity's sin problem. Maybe one of the clearest distinctions uh, that we can say about the difference between biblical Christianity and man-made types of religion or man-made efforts would be this, that according to the scriptures, according to God and his revelation to us, the, the difference is that in Christianity, God works on us as people from the inside out. He fashions a new heart. Scripture says he awakens us, he wakes us up, he gives us new life on the inside. If you're a Christian here today, you know this experience firsthand. That there would have been a time in your life where you were not interested in God. If we would be honest, we would say we would be anti-God in our hearts. Uh, running from, wanting all of the blessings of God, but just not wanting God. And, and then a work in your heart changed everything. And there was a new life and a new direction and everything about us started to become alive and awakened. And we, through God's work in our life, began changing from the inside out. Man-made religion, humankind's efforts, uh, the people in the world, their efforts at trying to get to God is distinctly different. It is an effort that goes from the outside, and even though this doesn't work, it can't work, it's a futile effort, they try to work from the outside in, trying to change who we are at the core, change who we are on the inside by changing environment, changing practices, working from the outside in. And this is really what the Apostle Paul is getting at in Colossians chapter 2, we are seeing a very clear distinction between God's work in a human and God's work in our lives that gets us in the inside and works its way out. Where the Apostle Paul is saying, be weary and be careful and be warned of false teachers that are trying to persuade you that the way to grow and the way to have change and the way to do something different and the way to really get to God and get him on your side and get in his good graces and get in his favor is to work from the outside in. We don't have to look very far. We don't have to go very far to see examples of this. It's all over. It's probably around us very personally. It's present in America. It's present worldwide. It's present in pages past in history. 
Just a couple of examples. I, I read a story just this past week of, of a mom who was struggling with one of her children and wanting to change the heart and really get at the core of their child. She was grasping at straws to do anything and everything. She flew her child out of state, spent tens of thousands of dollars on behavior modification techniques, hoping that it would change the core of who her child is, was. And as you can imagine, it, it didn't work. It's trying to work from the outside in. That, that never works. You can look globally. You can see worldwide, especially probably coming up on Easter Resurrection Sunday here just around the corner. You'll begin to see glimpses of, of news reports of people around the world who are realistically trying to recreate the resurrection literally getting whipped in the streets with a cross on their backs and putting their body under extreme pain and in order somehow to effort their way into God's good favor, somehow heighten their spirituality by bludgeoning and beating the body. What's happening? They're trying to work from the outside in as though somehow if we rearrange, do something, bring ourselves under some kind of law or regulation or rule that it's going to change us on the inside. You can read the pages of history and see this very same thing happening. I think of the old uh, maybe ways in the first couple of centuries. There was uh, one author in particular who wrote about his struggle to overcome lust. And his solution was anytime he had a lustful thought, he would throw himself into a briar patch. Or find something similar to try to distract his mind and to abuse his body so that he would learn somehow to change from the inside out. And of course, we know that never happens. Uh, that's not the way to spirituality. As we come back to Colossians chapter 2 today, we're going to be finishing up this little mini-series on the Apostle Paul, very clearly making this distinction and helping us so that in our Christian walk, we have Christ. And what does Christ do for us? And how does Christ make our life different? And how do we legitimately, really, permanently change? It's from the inside out. It's not from the outside in. And one of the distinguishing characteristics that we'll see as we close out this chapter and the points that the Apostle Paul is making for us here in Scripture is be aware, be very careful and be aware and guard yourself against those kinds of spiritual voices in your life that are trying to tell you the way to change the inside is to work on the outside and have it backpedal in. That's false every time. Today we'll close chapter 2. Paul has spent a considerable amount of time and attention bringing a warning to the church against straying from Christ, a warning to not go looking elsewhere, to not listen to the voices of someone out there, some human way trying to tell you how to be spiritual, how to get in God's graces and favor. He spent a considerable amount of time doing this. Colossians chapter 2 really is a core focus of the book. It's very thorough on how it deals with these angles and these aspects of false teaching. I think it's been good for us to spend some extra weeks on this as well. 
I don't know where you are personally today, all of you. I don't know where everyone in this room has come from in their past. But I do know that it's very likely that many of us grew up in contexts or grew up in churches or grew up in families or grew up in communities where it was this very thing. It was an outward attempt to work on the heart, to work on the inside. It would go by the names of legalism or something like that. Many of us might have backgrounds in that, that, that it was an exterior attempt to get to the core and the interior of the person. And those of you that have come to Christ, you know, Christianity is a freedom. It's setting our hearts free. Free from being bullied, pushed, constricted, ruled, and regulated to try to change the heart. When Christ sets the heart free, he sets it free indeed. He sets it free to love. He sets it free to worship. He sets it free, as the book of 1 John says, that God's commands are no longer burdensome to me, but I have a new affection, a new desire in my heart to seek the Lord. That God, when he does a work in us, does a work inside of us, and he does a thorough work in us so that it changes us at the core. No exterior thing can get to that. And so I think this has been very helpful for us. I hope it's been clarifying for you. And as we close this today, you'll also see maybe you had an upbringing this way. Maybe you've come out of a church background of this way that to be free in Christ is to truly have spiritual awakening and growth. And so we don't leave Christ to go on to something else. Colossians chapter 2, let me just give us a really brief preview here of where we've been. This is part five in the series of guarding ourselves against false teaching. If we go all the way back to chapter two in verse one, Paul mentioned that he struggles so that the church would have full assurance of who Christ is so that we would fix our eyes only on him. Paul said, I labor, I struggle, I toil, I sweat, I, I come to exhaustion so that the church would understand the fullness of Christ so that our eyes would be on him forevermore. That was verses 1 through 7. Then the Apostle Paul contrasted the emptiness of man-made religion, the emptiness of man-made traditions, and how we are full in Christ. Do you remember this distinction a number of weeks ago? The emptiness of all of that, the fullness of Christ. When you have Christ, you have everything. You have everything. Christ offers us sweeping and full forgiveness. He brings new life to our hearts. He puts us in God's family forevermore. He places a, 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 an eternal place for us in heaven. He prepares that for us. All of this, we have fullness in Christ. That was verses 8 through 15. Last week, the Apostle Paul exposed for us some of the strategies of those who are carrying false messages. So these would be the messengers themselves, that they are manipulative, um, that they are carrying um, false messages, that they're trying to constrict and, and lord over people with their, with their message. And so he really exposed the messengers themselves. How are these false strategies put out there so that you can be manipulated to follow a person rather than follow God's path through Christ? So having now looked at the messengers themselves, we end Colossians chapter 2 today looking at the specific message 
or messages, these false messages of those messengers that we looked at last week. These are faulty, these are powerless, but they are messages nonetheless, and we need to be warned of them, to be wary of them. So the title today, yes, it's part five of guarding ourselves against false teaching, but there's a special attention of today's message looking at the false and broken premise that spiritual life can be had from the outside in. That is a false message. It's a broken premise. It can never happen. God works on us from the inside out. So turn with me to Colossians chapter 2 as we close out this chapter. Wonderful chapter helping us be very clear in our thinking to be warned and guarded against the false message, a false gospel, versus what is the true message, what is the true gospel. It is that Christ gets all of the glory for the work that he's done in my life, that he has arrested my affections, he has brought me into God's family, that he has set me in a new course, in a new path, forgiven me of all of my sins, says Colossians chapter 2. Not even a speck of sin left unforgiven, Christ does all of this, and to him be the glory. This is the message of Scripture, the true gospel. So we turn, as we conclude today, Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 20. And this is just looking again, what is this message that is false? It is the message that we somehow are worked on from the outside in. We'll look here in verses 20 and 21 that this is true. Outside voices have no jurisdiction over the inside life of the Christian. Outside voices, human reasoning, man-made rules and regulations, those have no jurisdiction over the inside life of what Christ has done for us. So plug your ears to them. Shut them off. Christ and only Christ is our battle cry. Verse 20. If with Christ... You have died to the elemental spirits of the world. Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to these regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Paul is getting into the specifics of this message now. And he says, if you have died with Christ. This verse 20 begins with this word, if. It's not intended at all to express any doubt, like, well, possibly. That's not the, the sense here. It's a conditional clause in the Greek language. It communicates certainty. A better way to say this would be, since you have died with Christ. Since with Christ you have died to these elemental messages, these even demonic ways of trying to build your own house up to God. You've died to that. With Christ and because of Christ, you've died to broken and elementary and humanistic ways to God. Why would you ever then consider once again listening to that type of message? Paul is asking us, why would you then ever put yourself under them again? In the first place, they have no jurisdiction over you. You belong to God through Christ and with Christ. In the second place, these are human, man-made ways to God. They're purely external. They can never reach you on the inside. 
So Paul is saying that as Christians, we died to and we are separated from man-made religious ways of the world. Therefore, the voices, the commands, this authority that these false teachers have, they no longer have a say in our lives. You know, maybe we can think of it this way. If you could travel back with me for a moment to all of us being in first grade. And you have your first grade teacher, and maybe that was a wonderful year. I can't remember back that far. I don't even know who my first grade teacher was. But if we were in first grade, we would be under the guardianship of our first grade teacher. But fast forward to high school, your high school years. You see your first grade teacher during high school, and your first grade teacher begins to deploy all of the rules of first grade to you. She starts telling you to turn in assignments. She starts telling you where and when to be for recess. Uh, she starts telling you when is nap time. And maybe you'd agree, disagree with all of them, but nap time. We can still do nap time. But your first grade teacher, while you're in high school, begins to lord over you with rules and regulations telling you what you are to do. Of course, your argument would be this. I'm not in first grade anymore. That class is done in my life. In fact, I've graduated elementary school. I've graduated junior high school. I'm now in high school. There is no jurisdiction for me any longer of the first grade rules and regulations upon me as a high schooler or beyond. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying here. Why would you go back to the elementary, elemental ways of the world, which is mankind trying to build a path to God when you have graduated from all of that, it is dead to you. There is no voice that belongs in your life any longer with jurisdiction to say that you have to do this, you must do this. This is the way that you build to God. You have Christ. He has done it all for you. It is finished and complete. This is what Paul is saying. The outside voices of the world human voices, earthly voices with man-made ideas about God and about spiritual peace and how you are to grow, these things have no more jurisdiction in your life than your first grade teacher does. Don't listen to them. If with Christ you died to these things, why, as if you are still alive to them, do you submit to these regulations? And then we look here in verse 21. He gives a sampling here. Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. These were representative of the types of spiritual advice that was being given that was looking to lead the Colossian church, these Christians, astray. You'll notice these are purely external. These are all external. You know, if you really want to be spiritual... This is what you must do. And it's all external. It's very likely that Paul had in mind the instance when Jesus made this very point. You'll remember in the ministry of Jesus when he was here on earth, wrestled with this very thing, that there was an entire faction of Jewish religious leaders and followers and the people there that thought that the way to God was through external rules and regulations. I want to just read an instance of this in Jesus' life. And 
Uh, Just listen as I read from Mark chapter 7. Jesus encounters this very thing. And I want you to listen closely to the argument and what is going on here. Jesus meets these Pharisees and these teachers who begin questioning Jesus' followers because they weren't washing their hands before they ate. And it had nothing to do with germs. or It wasn't to keep them healthy and not have the flu during flu season. They believed in their mind that the dirtiness of the hands and the things that they touched would defile their heart. That it would actually, the external world could come into them and somehow make them unclean and defile them before God. Jesus is going to turn that entire line of thought on its head to say, it is not what comes into a person that can get to their heart and defile them. What defiles us is what's already in our heart, what comes out. So listen as Jesus engages these teachers on this very point. And I do believe it's very likely the Apostle Paul either had this or a similar instance in mind when he's writing there in Colossians chapter 2. So here we are. This is Mark chapter 7. The Pharisees gathered to Jesus with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem. They saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. So in in the Pharisees' mind, dirty hands could equal a dirty heart. It wasn't just dirt, it was defilement. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, they do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. The Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Jesus said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. Jesus is implying here is that they have a faulty premise, that somehow it's the external world that defiles the inside of a person. What Jesus is going to say, the inside of a person is already defiled. That is what needs washed, and only God can do it. So he calls them hypocrites, and he says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and you hold to the tradition of men. He said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandments of God in order to establish your tradition. Moses said, honor your father and your mother and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is given to God, then you no longer permit him to anything For his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition, you have handed down many such things like this you do. He called the people to him again and said, hear me, all of you, and understand. In other words, Jesus is about to lay down the truth. He's about to speak the truth on this matter. There's nothing outside a person, verse 15, there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of the person are what defile him. When he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are all of you without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled. 
literally into the latrine, or today we would say into the toilet. A pretty graphic idea here that Jesus is saying. Don't you see? How does that debile a person? It goes in, it goes out. Thus he declared all foods clean, and he said what comes out of a person is what defiles him. From within and out of the heart of a person comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these don't come into the person. Jesus is saying all of these come from out, come out of the person. This is what defiles them. The Apostle Paul, when he was speaking to the Colossian church, hitting on this very same note, since you have Christ and you've been washed of all of your sins, since you have Christ and you have a new start on the inside, since you have Christ and you have a new life, why would you ever go back and listen to the voices that would try to subject you to all of that? Don't you know that the true spiritual walk, the true spiritual state of a person's soul is not worked at from the outside in, but God does a work from the inside out. If Christ and Christ alone changes you from the inside out, why would you give your attention to anything else? That is what Paul is saying in verses 20 and 21. We move on to the second point here. This comes from verse 22. Not only do outside voices have no jurisdiction over your soul, outside regulations, and I'm speaking here in human terms, earthly, human ideas, outside regulations have no power over the inside life. They have no power over your soul. Look with me at verse 22. Referring to things that all perish. So uh, just continuing on from verse 21, do not handle do not taste, do not touch. These are all external regulations. These are referring to things that all perish as they are used. They are according to human precepts and teachings. These are not according to divine directives. These are human precepts and human teachings. So Paul here continues to point out the impossibility of trying to gain spirituality through external rules and commands. This emphasis here in verse 22 is that all of those things, everything that exists outside of us, all of those external rules and regulations that we can come up with, all of them will eventually perish. Every single one. There's not a one that is going to live with us eternally forever. These are all perishable things. So the implication is their entire emphasis of false teachers on trying to get to you spiritually from the outside, it's wrong and it's wrongly placed. Everything was based on purely physical, material actions and prohibitions, and all of these things have a short shelf life, is what Paul is saying. Earthly, man-made, external systems of spirituality are wrong. And they're at odds with God. We don't overcome. We don't compensate for. We don't overrule. We don't outweigh our own wrongdoings by just inserting a bunch of laws and rules and regulations. 
to insist that an outward conformity must be followed to be spiritual, the Apostle Paul says, is wrong. It's wrong from the beginning because God works on us from the inside out. Outward practices and rules and laws do not have the power to change the soul. They don't have the power to reach the inside of a person. You know, if we could just think practically for a moment, if that was the case, if it was the case that external strict, uh, 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 um, strictures and regulations and all of these things could be imposed upon us and we be, would become a new person, then we would think that maybe the military would have the most spiritual people in the world because they really dial down and tighten the screws on outward regulations. Uh, most of you know that we have a son at the Army's Military Academy, and as we talk with him, we're constantly amazed at the rigors of Army discipline. Uh, he has room inspections regularly to the point where when a drawer opens, nothing in your drawer can shift out of place, and so his socks and T-shirts are literally duct-taped to the bottom of the drawer. So when the drawer is opened, it looks exactly as when the drawer is closed. He has uniform checks at the beginning of every class where his buttons have to line up exactly with his belt buckle and all of these things. And, and if you break some of these rules or these laws, there is severe punishment. I think I mentioned a number of months ago, um, there was one um, cadet at the academy that wore civilian clothes when he wasn't supposed to, and the punishment for that was 60 walking hours where you just do nothing but walk from one side of a field to the next and turn around and do that for 60 hours. So you would think that if outward structure changed the inside of a person, military people would be the most spiritual on the planet. Now, all of that that I just mentioned for the military, it has value for teaching discipline, has value for instilling respect for authority, has value for presenting an image or an ideal for the army, but it has zero power to change the heart of anyone, even the most extreme external regulations cannot change the heart of anyone. And this is the message of Scripture, brothers and sisters. We do not look to human teachings. We do not look to human regulations to change our hearts. They don't have the power to do that. We end chapter 2 of Colossians. We end our verse of Scripture here today looking at Colossians chapter 2, verse 23. Here is the last point. Outside wisdom, human, earthly wisdom has no value to the inside life. Looking at mankind to solve our divine problem with God has no value to our souls. This is verse 23. These things, all that Paul has just written, these things have indeed an appearance of wisdom. It's like a mirage. It looks like it's there. It has an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion. I mean, look, look, at these, look at the verbiage that Paul has used in verse 22. Human precepts. Here in verse 23, self-made religion and asceticism. We looked at that word last week. It's, it's self-humiliation 
through harsh treatment of the body, the people that whip themselves, that bring themselves under tremendous pain and discomfort, somehow trying to humble themselves before the Lord. That is asceticism. This is self-made religion, asceticism, asceticism and severity to the body. But these things are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. No value, zero, at reaching the inside, at reaching the heart. There's a surface wisdom that Paul talks about here, this appearance of wisdom. That is all you will find in human spirituality. That is all you will find in man-made religion. This means that if you give in to submitting to these outward rules, these outward regulations as a pathway to God, it will look or feel for a time, and maybe even at the beginning, like it works. It will have that appearance, that, that surface look, that it might be doing something, and it might be working. Don't be deceived. The appearance and the surface shine will eventually wear off, and you're left with emptiness. You realize that the soul cannot be reached by external regulations. This type of false teaching does nothing but bring attention and glory to self. I can do this. I should do this. I can follow this. I can certainly overcome these things in my own strength, by myself, by regulating my schedule, by doing these things. Instead of slowing or stopping the flesh, it actually, Paul says here, promotes pride and more indulgence of various sorts. Trying to stop the flesh while focusing only on the flesh is a losing battle. We know from Scripture God is clear on this, brothers and sisters. Galatians 5.16, walk by the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We go vertical first. We go to the soul, to the inside. We ask God to work on us from the inside out. Walk by the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We must focus first on the inside in order to have victory over the flesh, in order to have spiritual growth. That is the message of Scripture. Let me close by just maybe trying to paint a word picture for us here as the Apostle Paul is wrapping up Colossians chapter 2. Let's say for a moment you drive your car into your garage. You're distracted a little bit. You're on your phone. You didn't really realize what all you were doing um, and your focus was a little bit off. You, you thought you slid the car into park, but it really stayed in reverse. You forgot to take the key out. You jumped out of the car and closed the door, only to realize in a couple of seconds, seconds that your car is moving in reverse. It's going backwards. Race out of the garage. You jump to the back of the car. You put both hands on the bumper, and you try to stop that car from the outside. Right, that might appear at first like it's working. That might appear at first like a wise thing. Maybe one of your neighbors catches a glimpse of you looking out the window and is like, oh, the car is rolling and they've jumped out to stop it. But we all know the car is in reverse. It's running our little puny hands against the, pump, the bumper of the car, trying to stop the car from the outside is not going to stop that car. We would say, well, what needs to happen? 
What needs to happen is you need to jump back into the car, hit the brakes, put the car in park, turn the engine of the car off. The movement and the motion of that car moving cannot be stopped from the outside in. It must be stopped from the inside out. That is exactly the message of the Apostle Paul here. We live our lives before the Lord. We live our lives in such a way that we want to be pleasing to the Lord. But be very clear about this. There is a message of Scripture that says our lives are worked from the inside out. God does this. He does this through Christ. He works on us on the inside. We don't have the power. Our puny hands cannot stop the indulgence of the flesh. They cannot stop the way that we are living that would be disapproving before the Lord. God does it from the inside out. True biblical teaching says you've died to the kind of thinking that says you get to the soul from the outside in. Instead, we hold fast to Jesus Christ. He transforms us. He gives us new life. He nourishes our soul and he changes us from the inside out. And it is for his glory and our good. Let's close our time this morning in prayer. Father, we thank you for the clarifying teaching of Scripture. That Lord, how many of us and how long have we wrestled and struggled trying to in our own way and by our own power, somehow dust ourselves off and clean ourselves up as though we can be presentable to you. Lord, thank you for the power of Scripture that it is not from the, in, the outside in that changes us. It is only by looking to Christ, only by confessing, turning from sin and placing our faith and trust in Christ alone that changes us from the inside out a world of new affections, a world of new desires that you have given to us. Lord, may we as a church hold fast to Christ, deepen our love and commitment to Christ so that we might walk in a way that is pleasing to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.